What we identify in the paper is a number of barriers that you find for resolution of state-owned banks that you normally don't find in private banks. Governments go at great lengths in order to avoid placing uh, the state-owned banks into a resolution. Whenever I see a jurisdiction where the state-owned bank is not a member of the deposit insurance, I get surprised. Welcome to this new IADI podcast, today with Danilo Palermo, Senior Financial Sector Specialist at the World Bank, and Bruno Meyerhoff salama Lecturer at UC Berkeley Law School. Today we will be discussing the resolution of state-owned banks and in particular the application of the FSB's key attributes of effective resolution regimes to these state-owned banks. So Danilo, Bruno and Eva Gutierrez have recently written a paper on this and it's great that we can discuss this today with you. So Danilo, maybe we can, we can start with you. So what is, what is the background um, of this paper? Thank you, Bert, and hello, everyone. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, so the key attributes were published in 2011 and then reformed in 2014. Uh, they are designed, of course, to apply to all banks, um, no matter the ownership structure. Uh, but there's not so much uh, literature or about the application to state-owned banks, uh, what are the, the main challenges and how to go about them. Uh, and in that context, um, we decided to look into these issues and the main obstacles, uh, what could be done to, to facilitate the application of the key attributes to state-owned banks. Uh, and of course, this is a, a, a study, a, a generic study. We don't aim at making recommendations uh, on how to countries should go about it. It's just a, a, a theoretical exercise, let's say. But I think we came up with uh, some interesting conclusions that uh, can help address the problem. Uh, it is a pity that Eva Gutierrez is not here today with us, uh, So, but uh, Bruno and I and Eva uh, together we reviewed a lot of uh, situations in different countries, legal structures, legal frameworks, uh, operational frameworks, uh, and to try to come up with a, a, a sense of what needs to be done to address these issues. Mm -hmm. Okay, thanks. So resolution of, of state-owned banks, Bruno, maybe um, just to be, to be sure that we understand what we're talking about, what, what would you define, how would you define state-owned banks? One way to do that is to think about each one of the three elements so the state means that the sovereign is the beneficial owner. It could be a local entity, the state entity, uh, the federal government, and so on, but it's the sovereign. Second, it's owned. It could be wholly owned or partially owned. Uh, it can be a transitory ownership, such as, for example, after uh, a rescue package, uh, as happened uh, recently in many places in Europe. Or it could be, since the beginning, ab initio, uh, owned by the government. The crucial element is that the government exercises control over the bank. The third one is that it's bank, right? But it's not necessarily a commercial bank. We're trying to think about uh, the topic more broadly to include development banks as well. State-owned banks differ from private banks mostly for three reasons. Um, they have a public policy role. 
they are uh, very relevant uh, in the developing world, although they are also relevant in some uh, developed countries. And very importantly for the question of resolution, normally they are subject to a special legal regime that's more inflexible, that's less flexible than the regime applicable to privately owned banks. Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks. I think, I think that's clear. So, Danilo, where would, be, where would this be relevant, right? Are there places, economies or jurisdictions in the world where, where state-owned banks would be, would be maybe more relevant than in other ones? I would say this is relevant across the board. Uh, you have important state-owned banks in Germany, Switzerland, and the Netherlands, for example, to talk about uh, developed countries. You have relevant state-owned banks in uh, China, India, Brazil, uh, which are middle-income countries. And if you go to the lower-income countries, uh, you have uh, a number of other jurisdictions. Uh, that uh, So this is state-owned banks are across the board. Um, in some countries, they are more relevant than in others, of course. Uh, and, and also their activities may vary from... Uh, from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. So in some countries, they will be, they have more of a financial inclusion angle. Um, so to cater to people that would not have access to commercial banks just because they are in remote areas, for example. Uh, whereas in, in, in more developed countries, sometimes their mandates are more tied, tied to specific, uh, uh, for example, export and import financing and things like this. But uh, short answer is this is relevant everywhere across the board. Mm-hmm. Okay, thanks, um, Bruno. A question to you: um, the role of the state in, in state-owned banks and and the the use maybe of taxpayers' money and uh, and resolution that that leads to quite some challenges in, in understanding like key concepts of of like bail-in, bail-out, or, or recapitalization. Um, so you tried to put some some clarity and and actually you named the, named the taxonomy in the paper. So may, maybe you can explain us a bit about about how to use these concepts in this in this context. We tried to develop a terminology for thinking about uh, government capital contributions to to banks, mm-hmm. and the reason we do that is because in different places in different jurisdictions uh, terms are used sort of interchangeably. Uh, because you can think of the government contributing equity to to its bank as a bailout, and then you would say, okay, taxpayers' money, and you call it a bailout. Or you can think of it as bail-in when it's the government uh, directly or through its, you know, parastatal entities uh, in, in its position as creditor of the bank converting uh, the credit instrument into equity, and we call that a bail-in. Right, and so it's the government again giving a capital mm-hmm. contribution, mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's a bail-in, or sometimes it's referred simply as a recapitalization. The government um, putting sort of money into uh, the capital accounting of the bank, and we try to to bring clarity into these uh, terms by trying to be precise about what exactly they mean. And the the key uh, point is that uh, to differentiate these terms, you have to consider timing and you have to consider financial conditions. It would be tempting to say, okay, bailout and bail-in are something that happens in resolution. And a recapitalization is something that happens outside of resolution. And there's truth to that intuition because, yes, uh, uh, what we're calling a recapitalization is something that happens outside of resolution. Mm -hmm. Um, And a bail-in, conversely, is what happens 
only within resolution because it's the resolution authority that is uh, uh, mandatorily transforming a credit instrument into shares or equity. But the problem is that a bailout sometimes happened within and sometimes happened outside of resolution. And so to differentiate a bailout mostly from a recapitalization, you have to look into the financial conditions of the, uh, of the uh, capital contribution made by the government. If it is made on market terms, then you're going to call it a recapitalization. And if it happens outside of market terms, then you call it a bailout, mm-hmm. even if it happens before the beginning of the resolution. It's a kind of a little bit tricky. I tried to, to be as clear as I could. Okay, I think that's, that's clear enough. Um, um, Danilo, coming back to the title of the paper, so the application of, of the FSB's key attributes um, to, to the resolution of, of um, state-owned banks. So, so what would be our answer? Would, would those, those key attributes be applicable here in that case? Definitely. Uh, there's no reason to think that the key attributes should not be applicable to state-owned banks. Uh, what we find is that uh, there are some of the key attributes that are easier to apply, let's say, or I mean, they're never easy to apply, it's just that they're not harder to apply to state-owned banks in comparison to private banks. Mm-hmm. And there are others that are harder to apply, I mean, in the sense that you have to overcome some challenges. Uh, but a short answer is, yes, they apply, and there's no reason to, to say otherwise. Okay. So, so when actually applying those key attributes in, in, in the case of resolution of a state-owned bank, um, your, your paper identifies four challenges on, a, on an abstract level. So, so one um, relates to, to legal hurdles, uh, and the other ones, the two other ones, are, are more political in nature. So they, they would relate to, to sensitive uh, domestic debates um, regarding the privatization uh, in resolution of a state-owned bank, or their um, acquisition by by a, by a foreign uh, investor. Um, I would like to discuss with you, Bruno, a fourth challenge that you have identified. So mm. that's, that's the so-called too public to fail aspect that would explain uh, maybe from, from a financial or, or a fiscal point of view um, why many governments may be, may be very reluctant in actually placing a state-owned bank um, into resolution. It's essentially for two reasons. The first one, uh, which is uh, the, the, the easier to understand is that when uh, the government starts the resolution of the uh, state-owned bank, it will realize a loss and that will impact its uh, accounting. Mm -hmm. But the second one uh, is that it can hurt, uh, starting the resolution of a bank can hurt its reputation because state-owned banks typically typically operate under the implied assumption of government backing of its liabilities. And, and those two considerations explain why governments go at great lengths in order to avoid placing uh, the state-owned banks into a resolution. Okay, well, having a closer look now at the challenges and the um, applicability of the FSB key attributes, you've, you've actually split them up in three groups, right? So, so one group where you say, well, the applicability is, is unproblematic or, or, or um, as you have just said, Danilo, not more problematic than it would be in comparison with private banks. And another group where there are some challenges and then two key attributes 
like number three on resolution tools and number six on defending of resolution, where you say, well, these are definitely the most challenging um, in applying to state-owned banks. So, so maybe we can we can we can pick three of them and and um, and shortly discuss them. And and Danilo, maybe we can start with um, with attribute eleven on the preparation of recovery and uh, resolution plans. So so what are your findings in the paper on the applicability of this um, on on state-owned banks? So, Bert, the the, the whole thing with preparation um, is that. It's first of all, it's absolutely necessary. Uh, if you think about it, what we identify in the paper is a number of barriers that you find for resolution of state-owned banks that you normally don't find in private banks. Mm-hmm. So, for example, you have countries where uh, to do a change of control, you need parliament approval. Uh, you have uh, uh, countries where, um, for example, to, to, to determine for the resolution authority to de- determine the removal of a barrier to resolution, they would need to require legislation or ministry approval mm-hmm. and things right. like that. So uh, I would say that recovery and resolution planning and also resolvability assessment, which is closely linked, is even more important maybe, if you can say that, to state-owned banks, exactly because uh, you have barriers that sometimes you would not expect, let's say, you know, I mean, uh, so you have countries that try to address that. Uh, for example, if the the I'm not going to name any countries, but if if uh, the financial stability authorities def- decide that a crisis is systemic, uh, then they can override certain of these provisions and let the executive branch take decisions that in normal times would require. Mm-hmm. Uh, Parliament approval, for example. So there are some countries that have made made progress in that area, uh, and this is all dependent on preparation. So the first thing is to prepare, identify the barriers, so that you can start uh, addressing them. Okay, right. Okay, one one of the specific uh, rather thorny issues here is the applicability of, of key attribute number number three, and and especially there the the use of bail-in um, as a resolution tool for for state-owned banks. So, um, so Bruno, what are, what are the issues that you identified here specifically related to, to bail-in? To understand these issues, we should think about the base case for a bail-in, uh, which goes like this. There's a privately owned bank, which goes bust. Mm-hmm. The shareholders are wiped out, at least in part. And the creditors have their uh, credit instruments converted into equity, thereby operating a change of control and therefore the bail-in accomplishes two objectives. First is it improves uh, the capital situation of the bank and secondly it changes its governance and hopefully improves its governance. Mm -hmm. Now when you think about this framework as applied to state-owned banks, you can easily see how the first motive is uh, uh, complied with, right? The credit becomes capital and the capital situation improves. Mm -hmm. But if the creditors become shareholders, especially if we're talking about private creditors, uh, that would uh, be equivalent to a privatization. Mm -hmm. 
But that would be a privatization that is carried out by the resolution authority, and that would trigger, first, all sorts of political calculations, and secondly, very importantly, it will, in most cases worldwide, trigger the need for a parliamentary approval. So this is a hurdle. There are different ways to think about that when you try to articulate that in the paper. The second uh, holder, uh, sorry, uh, uh, challenge is that sometimes a bail-in will feel like a bail-out. Mm -hmm. And that will happen when the creditors that are bailed in are themselves part of the government. Right. Because you will have the improvement of the capital situation of the bank. Uh, following from a contribution by the government without a change in the governance of the bank. Okay? And the third challenge has to do with bail-ins at large because they are always difficult. There are successful experiences with bail-in. There is a case in Portugal. There is a case in Slovenia. But there are also experiences with bail-in uh, that have raised all sorts of complications. There's the case in Cyprus. There's, there are cases in Italy. We try to describe that in the paper. But bear in mind that all of these cases had to do with privately owned banks. Right. And so if it's so tricky and complicated to operate bail-in in privately owned banks, just imagine the sorts of challenges that might come about in state-owned banks, especially when the law is not very clear. So therefore, the flip side of that is that if the law is very clear on the situations that can trigger bail-in, that should make it uh, uh, easier to implement bail-ins especially because in some circumstances, they are highly desirable and they make practical sense. Yeah, what links back to what Danilo just said on preparation, of course. But, but Danilo, now maybe coming, coming to the point or to the, to, the, to the issue of deposit insurance and the role that deposit insurance funds um, could maybe play as, as a source of funding and resolution, resolution also of, of state-owned banks. Because um, after all, I mean, the Article Principle 7 um, demands for, for membership um, in deposit insurance uh, also by state-owned banks. So what would you see as, as, as the role there, as a potential role of, of deposit insurance funds? Well, but to, to be very frank, whenever I see a jurisdiction where the state-owned bank is not a member of the deposit insurance, I get surprised. I see no justification for that. Uh, talking on the deposit insurance side, uh, if you cause private banks to pay premiums, which in some places can be quite high, and you exempt the, 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 the state-owned bank from doing that, you distort competition conditions, which is not good practice. Uh, but coming back to the topic of resolution, uh, the role of uh, 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 deposit insurance in financing resolution in a state-owned bank shouldn't be different than in a private bank. Uh, mm -hmm. If a state-owned bank, state bank fails, uh, you will or you may be uh, required to split uh, the, the critical functions, and even though we do discuss the definition of what is a critical function in a state-owned bank, which might be a little bit broader than in, in the private banks, but in any case, you might need to split these uh, critical functions, place it in a new entity, or uh, transfer it through a PNA, and the deposit insurance can help a lot in uh, accomplishing that. So uh, 
there's no, like I said, there's no reason to, to treat state-owned bank differently from a, a deposit insurance perspective. And yes, it can facilitate uh, solving big problems. Do you see issues in, in, in pricing the risk um, by the deposit insurer um, to the state-owned bank in, in setting premiums? It might be a bit challenging uh, because you have the question of implicit guarantees that it's, it's of course, everyone tries to get rid of that, but it's not so clear-cut. Uh, so you might have issues in pricing that. Uh, you probably would have to settle for something suboptimal, but I mean, there, there, are, there are mechanisms to go about that. Okay, good. So many thanks. Uh, I think this discussion gave us very good insights uh, in what the paper is about and uh, also in the, uh, the complexity of the issues. Um, related to the resolution of, uh, of state-owned banks. So, so many thanks to you, Danilo Palermo from the World Bank Group and Bruno Meyerhof-Salama from UC Berkeley Law School. Um, the paper will be available as a World Bank publication uh, on the World Bank's website uh, very soon, so do check that out. And uh, also let me close uh, by thanking um, our listeners for your interest in the Yadi podcasts and uh, do stay tuned uh, for the upcoming ones. Thank you and goodbye.